So let's get right into the scripture for today, which is going to start in John chapter 7. We're going to read the last verse of John chapter 7, and then we're going to go into John chapter 8. So it is John chapter 7, verse 53. I'll give you a second to get there. Now, when it says everyone, it's talking specifically about the whole group of people that was just with Jesus. A lot happened. A lot happened in these last two chapters, and we're going to get into it. But when it says everyone specifically talking about the Pharisees, each one of them went back to their home, right? But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. And early in the morning, he came again into the temple, and all the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. And the scribes and the Pharisees show back up again, bringing to him a woman taken in adultery, having her set in the midst, they say to him, teacher, this woman has been taken in the very act committing adultery. Now in the law, Moses has commanded us to sown such. Thou therefore, what sayest thou? But this they said, proving him that they might have something to accuse him of. But Jesus, having stooped down, wrote with his finger on the ground. But when they continued asking him, he lifted himself up and said to them, let him that is without sin among you first cast the stone at her. And again, stooping down, he wrote on the ground. But they, having heard that, went out one by one, beginning from the elder ones until his last. And Jesus was left alone and the woman standing there. And Jesus, lifting himself up and seeing no one but the woman, said to her, Woman, where are those thine accusers? Has no one condemned thee? And she said, no one, sir. And Jesus said to her, neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. Thank you for the reading of your word, Jesus. So the biggest thing that we have to understand that this all happened at the feet of Jesus. The point that we have to understand is that people who today would have called themselves believers, these Pharisees, the scribe, these would have all called themselves believers and they put chains on a person who was already in darkness. They put chains, they, put, they, they tied up the hands of a person who was already going through something. And now she's not just in darkness, but she's in darkness and she's bound. So what I've said, in, in, instead of just going through something, she's going through something in chains. And the question that uh, I've been tasked to ask Today is, how often have you been that person? Not the person in the darkness, but the person who put chains on the person in darkness. When we walk away from those that have sinned in our presence, do we walk away having freed them? Or have we given them more chains to carry? But we want to remember that this all happened at the feet of Jesus. And it's something, there's something special about being laid down in the presence of our Lord. How important is it that it happened at the feet of Jesus? Mary was so eager to just hear a word from the Lord that she broke every custom that there was. She wanted to hear a word from the Lord and, 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 and she had to hear it from her sister because her sister was saying, ain't she supposed to be doing all of this stuff over here? Like only men are supposed to be at your feet. 
But Mary wanted a word so bad that she was willing to break every custom to be at the feet of Jesus. There was a healed leper that we find at the feet of Jesus. There was a demon-possessed man that we find at the feet of Jesus. There was the woman with the issue of blood that we find at the feet of Jesus. Mary wiped his feet with her tears, cleaned them with her hair, brung her alabaster box, and anointed his feet with ointment. There's something special again, I say, about the feet of Jesus. But here this woman is, and we find her ashamed. We find her paraded around, probably naked, most likely in chains and laid at the feet, at the feet of Jesus. So what happened? How do we get here? Just previous, we see Jesus feed the 5,000, right? So Jesus is, is in his place, and he goes to the disciples, and they say we have a boy who has five barley loaves and two fish. The Bible says there's probably somewhere upward of 5,000 men. That's not including the women and children. He sets them into groups, and he feeds them. We go on from the 5,000 to Jesus walking on water. The men are in their boats, and they're, they're afraid, and everything's going on around them. The wind's blowing, and then they see Jesus walking on water towards them. And he gets on the boat, and it says that everything calms down, and immediately they were on land. Then we get to the scripture where Jesus said, I am the bread of life. The same people that were there when he fed the 5,000, he finds them there again when he gets back on land. And he says, I know why you're here. It's because you're hungry. Right? He says, do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that brings eternal life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry for bread or thirsty. So he tells them these hard sayings. And it says that some of them walk away from Jesus, never to return. And then he looks at the people that remained and he said, do you want to go as well? And Peter says, Lord, where will we go? For you have the words that lead to eternal life. So the Pharisees and the Sadducees and all of the people that are there, they, 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 they don't like Jesus and they're trying to find a reason to arrest him. They're trying to find a reason to kill him. But it says that he evades the arrest. And that's when we get into the scriptures where it says that some of them go home. And Jesus goes to the Mount of Olives. I believe for private prayer to God on account of himself and for his disciples, for the spread of his gospel, for the enlargement of his interest, this being his common and usual method, he goes to the Lord and everyone else just goes home. How often do you leave a stressful situation and go off to be with yourself and God? Or how often do you leave a stressful situation and you just go home, right? Because what we see on Jesus' end is we see a, a Savior that goes off to be with the Father, and then when he wakes up in the morning, he goes to the temple. When he wakes up to the morning, he goes right back to teaching. He goes right back to what he was doing the previous day. But when we see it for the Pharisees, what we see is they actually wake up in mischief. They wake up and they go get a woman who is caught in the act of adultery, eventually bringing her to the church. The law says that it would have been a damsel betrothed for marriage, caught in the very act. And then they would go through a process, which brings me to my first point. 
There's a difference between holding me accountable and holding me down. I think as believers, we feel like it is our duty to hold people accountable. But how do they feel in that process? Do they feel like you've loved them with everything that you have? Or do they think that you're holding them down with all the weight that you carry? How did this woman feel after she was caught in sin? Just imagine being caught in the very act, right? see how many kids we still had in here <laughs> caught in the very act you 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 can visualize no okay don't visualize think about her status her stature her 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 body don't think about that I had it. I had it in my head. I was gonna say it, but now I see the I see the leaders in the back. Like, no. So let me let me let me regroup. Let me regroup. She would have been dragged out. Have anybody here ever watched? See, this is what happens when Corey tells me no. Now I'm now I'm out in the wind. There's no telling. There's no telling what's going. What I'm gonna say now. You ever seen uh, bad boys cops when they when they go into the house and they grab somebody? Yeah, they just grab them out. They don't never have on no drawers. They got on blue jeans, no shirt, no socks, no shoes, and they always ask them to go back in for their clothes. Handcuffed to the back. This is where this woman would have been, but scratch out the blue jeans. They would have tied her up, and they would have dragged her and paraded her around town butt naked. And when she would have been paraded in this way, everyone who sees her would never have to guess what her sin was. Because the way that you hold someone accountable, it automatically makes the community know what they've done. Are we holding people accountable or are we holding them down? Because in your eyes, I'm taking them to the Lord. In your eyes, I'm just laying them down at the feet of Jesus. In your eyes, I'm just showing them what the word says. I'm just giving them understanding of scripture. In your eyes, I'm doing everything that I can do to set them free because we were set free for freedom's sake. But how do they feel? Do they feel like they're only being walked into judgment? Do they feel like they're being held down? Do they feel like they're being put into more chains? Do they feel like they're being paraded around naked? Do they feel like they're walking into judgment? Do they feel like they're being put through a trial each time that you speak to them? When they see you, do they see you with a Bible in your hand or do they see you with a stone? Have you made your Bible look like a rock to those who see you? There's a difference between holding me accountable and holding me down. See, some people will hold you underwater because in all reality, they're drowning themselves. See, like when you think of someone who's drowning, right, or, 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 or they're flailing their arms, it looks like they're about to go under. As the person who's supposed to be able to swim and rescue, you, you might, if you're myself, wonder if when I get there, Will they take me down trying to keep them up? 
Is that the posture of the non-believer to the believer right now? That the believer is the one that's barely keeping above water and the non-believer is thinking to themselves, I'm afraid to go to them because they're trying to keep themselves above water so much that if I go to them and tell them what my sin is, what they'll do is put me underwater so they can look better. Bring me down so they can keep their chin up. Are you holding them accountable or are you holding them down? Sometimes going to a believer for help is as scary as trying to help someone who's drowning. Because the reality of the situation is they want to pull you down to keep them up. And then some of us are helping from a broken place. How can you set me free when you yourselves are in chains? How can you love me right when you don't love yourself right? It's nothing scarier than when someone who doesn't love themselves is trying to show you what love is. And here we have the Pharisees who do not know the Lord. He said, if you knew me, you, and you would see me and you would see God. But you don't know me. And you don't know my voice, so you don't know love. But here you are trying to love. And how have you done it? You have grabbed this woman in the very act. You have paraded her through town and brought her to my feet. It only can be two ways that the Sanhedrin actually brings this woman to Christ. Either they were on point or they were foul. If they were on point, best case scenario. Best case scenario. They're trying to do the right thing, and they're bringing this woman to Jesus to see what Jesus would do. Or, as the Bible says, they're actually trying to set Jesus up for failure because if he says, yeah, we should stone her, then he's got to deal with the Roman government. If he says, no, we should not stone her, then he's not really following the law of Moses. Have you ever tried to help somebody for so long that eventually it starts to mess you up? I've been talking about Moses a lot lately. Uh, me and Rob were actually talking about it this morning. We talked about it in Leaders Dinner on Friday. And one of the things that I've been wondering about with Moses is, did he help the Israelites for too long? Like, he got to a point to where God was like, you know what? I'm just going to kill everybody. I told you to come up here. I told them what to do. I said, consecrate yourselves. I said, do this, and I said, do that. Why are you up here, and we, we creating these tablets, and we trying to set them correct and do the th right thing for them? They downstairs, they done took off their earrings and the gold watches and all that type of stuff, and they didn't melted it down into a calf. I think I'm just going to destroy all of them. And what I'll do for you is I'll just give you somebody new for you, some new people that will listen and do exactly what it is that I tell them to do so that you can be the leader that I called you to be. And Moses says, no, I don't want to do the thing that God tells me to do. Lord, I got a plan for these people. You got a plan for these people. You didn't free them so that the uh, Egyptians can make fun of them and say, oh, you set them free just so that you could kill them in the wilderness. Lord, let me handle it. But then what happens eventually? Well, first, let's, let's go into the point that in like Exodus, whatever, they're murmuring and complaining. And then in numbers, whatever, they still murmuring and complaining. It's not like they actually changed who they were, right? So then Miriam actually dies, and now Moses is trying to help people from a broken place. When Miriam dies, that's the time that Moses messes up. I almost cussed. 
So the Bible says that Miriam dies. Soon as Miriam dies, the people start to murmur and complain. Jesus, uh, 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 Moses and Aaron, they fall to their face. They go to the Lord. They say, God, can you give these people what they want? God says, okay. And you can see the tone of Moses change. He said, you rebels. I looked it up in every translation that I could. He calls them rebels in the NRSV. He calls them rebels in the Amplified. He calls them rebels in the King James Version. That's not how Moses normally talked to the people of Israel. But he was hurt. He was broken. He was going through some traumatic issues. He was going through a place of darkness, and he never took time to actually take care of himself. As soon as he got broken, the next day or the same day, they're complaining. He never had an opportunity to do what Jesus did and go to the Mount of Olives to spend some time with the Lord. He immediately tries to help, and what does he do? God says, speak to the rock. He takes the, uh, the, the staff, hits the rock over a couple times. Water comes flowing out, and Jesus is like, okay, now you're not going to get the promise that I have for you. That's how we are when we try to help people in a broken state. We can't operate and do the things that the Lord actually asked us to do. And then we do these things in anger. And then what we do, we grab this person in the act of adultery, in the act of sin, and we take them and we break them down and we hold them down. And now they no longer feel like they're receiving the love of the Lord. They feel like they're receiving the weight of your anger. Even Moses wasn't strong enough to be good in a hurting place. Why do you think that you are? And what happens then is we get to my second point, and it goes from one stone to 50 stones. How do we go from one stone to 50 stones? This is where I'm going to bore you for a little bit. Give me, give me 10 minutes. Six and a half. I was wondering why the scripture talked about Jesus being his own witness. Like, so we stopped at verse 11, but verse 12, 13, and 14 says, Again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Then the Pharisees said to him, You are testifying on your own behalf, so your testimony is not valid. Jesus answered, even if I testify on my own behalf, my testimony is valid because I know where I have come from and where I am going, but you do not know where I come from or where I'm going. And I'm like, why is he bringing up testimony? Why are they bringing up testimony? What does this have to do with the story? How do I go from this situation and all of these people walking away to now all of a sudden, the next verse, the Pharisees are back again. And they're talking about his testimony. And the reason why is because testimony had everything to do with what just happened with that woman. Because this is how the law went. This is where it might get a little boring. It's going to get a little numbers. It's going to get a little uh, Old Testament book number three for you guys a little bit. So a, a person would have to have went to this woman with a witness. So two people. But first, that one person would have had to have a problem and a knowing of what she was doing. That's how we get to one stone. But what I do is I go get my brother Gino and we go to this person together because you had to have a witness of two people that I accused her before she ever seen before I ever seen her do it. So now I got two stones. But then what happens is me and Gino have to see her doing it in person. 
Then we would have to take her to the Sanhedrin. Now, the Sanhedrin would have anywhere from 23 to 71 people in its uh, judgment circle. That's why I said 50. So I figured between 23 and 71, 50 was a good number. I didn't want to say 71 stones. So then, now that me and Gino have warned her, and we caught her, we grab her, we take her to the Sanhedrin, now we have to convince the Sanhedrin that she's guilty. So now we've went from one stone to two stones to anywhere from 25 stones to 71 stones. And now we've all walking this person around town, parading her around as this, this person that is doing something wrong until we get her to the feet of Jesus. And then they ask, can we use this method of capital punishment? Can we put her in the ground with her shoulders underneath the dirt with the only thing showing is her head and because me and Gino are the first people that found her can you allow for us to be the first two to throw a stone from there can the next 21 to 69 people throw a stone at her head until she has a brutal head trauma and she's no longer breathing because of the sin that she has done now the first thing that they did wrong was where's the man According to the law, the law says that the woman that is a damsel betrothed to be married and the man that has soiled her holiness would both be stoned to death. Second, if you just went home and then you went straight from home to the temple, how did you find this woman in the very act in the first place? Might it be that she was found in your home? Now, I'm, I'm getting into the, uh, the book of Joseph now. This is the say of KT version, because we don't see that in the scriptures. But nonetheless, these are not just some random dudes. This ain't somebody from Cleveland Avenue that just popped into Third Street and they had something to say. This would be like our elders board bringing somebody in here. This is somebody, uh, this is somebody that, that's speaking from a place of authority, right? So these men know the law. They know what's supposed to be happening. They're cutting some corners, and it has to be for a reason. But how does it get from 1 to 2 to 25 to 50 to 71 in the first place? When we were speaking to each other uh, at the leaders' meeting on Friday, we were talking about um, the murmuring that was going on with Moses and Aaron. And we asked the question, how did it get from a couple people who had a problem to the whole congregation murmuring against Moses and Aaron? And, and I believe it was my wife that said it had to go from tent to tent. And that's what's happening in the, in, in the body right now. We got a lot of people that's saying some stuff that they don't need to be saying, that they don't got no authority to be saying. And next thing you know, it's going from tent to tent. I ain't going to go no more deeper than that. People are, yeah, you knew I was lying. People are talking when they ain't got no business to be talking, and now we got people that are being put in a position to where they're about to be stoned to death. We have people put in a position to where they feel like the weight of the world is on their neck, where they feel like they've been paraded around like some, some piece of meat, and they don't feel like they feel the love of God, and it's because you can't shut your mouth. It's because you don't know your place. It's because you're speaking and you ain't speaking scripture, but you're talking about the church. 
I'm going to move on. I'm not. I'm not. People are hurt because you won't be quiet. And you don't understand the error of your ways. I'm going to say this again. People are being put in position to be brutally stoned because you won't shut up. And this is the sad thing about it. People have told you to shut up. God has put it in the spirit of man to tell you your place. And you still won't listen. And people are being damaged. So I'll say it again from here, just in case you didn't hear it when they said it. Shut up. I'm going to move on. I'm lying. No, I'm just playing. I'm going to move on for real. So in verse 5, the Sanhedrin had made a tradition, right? They had made a tradition that uh, they didn't believe that you should be stoned. I'm, I'm just giving a little bit of, uh, of background understanding. They didn't believe that you should be stoned if it was presumptuous adultery and not willful adultery. They did not stone nor beat unless there was a previous situation, unless this was a repeated behavior. As long as the woman admitted the crime, they would just take her dowry. So they were trying to catch him in a tradition, right? I only bring this up again because the Roman government would not have allowed for this woman to be stoned. Think about it. When Stephen was stoned, it did say that the Pharisees were very upset. They immediately took him to the gates and they stoned him. But who did the, what did the Bible say in like, uh, was like Romans 8 or something like that? What did the Bible or who did the Bible say was there and gave permission? Yes, Saul. Paul was there. And that's the reason why they were allowed to do it because a Roman government official was there to say, I approve this. There was no Roman government official there to approve this beating. But it says that when they start talking, Jesus turned around and he start writing on the ground. I love this part. I love this part because it doesn't tell us what happened. So you know what I'm going to do. Yeah, I'm going to give you the KT version of what I think happened. Book of Joseph. In Jeremiah 17, 13, it says, O Lord, the hope of Israel, all who forsake you and will be put to shame. Those who turn away from you will be written in the dust because they have forsaken the Lord the spring of living water what did Jesus just say to them in the previous chapter he said I will give you the rivers of living water and in Jeremiah in the Old Testament it said I will give you the spring the spring river it's all the same thing right so in the Old Testament it says that God went or Moses I apologize went to the mount and when he went to the mount it said that God wrote with his finger and he gave them the law and it said that they messed up he went down when I say he I'm talking about Moses he flipped out broke the tablet went back up and then the second time God wrote with his finger and gave them the law again. So the first time what God gave them was mercy. Because remember, God wanted to kill them. But he said, no, 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 I'm not going to kill them. I'm going to give them mercy. The second time what he gave them was he gave them 
grace. Now they have mercy and grace. I'm going to give you the ability to go through something that I could have killed you on. I thought about it, but I decided not to do it. Then when I write it down again, this time I'm going to give you grace, which shows you that I do not condemn you for what you did the last time. Now what does Jesus do? Jesus wrote with his finger, and they wanted them to kill her, but he said, no, I'm going to give her mercy. I could kill her because she did do something wrong and she was caught in the, in, in, in the midst of the committing the act of adultery. And the act of adultery or, or caught in the act is actually one word, which means she was a thief. The Bible says caught in the act, but it's actually only one Greek word, which just means thief because she was the property of another person and she gave that property to someone else without that property being her. So what her actual crime was is being a thief, which you could be killed for, right? But he said, no, I'm going to give her mercy, but not only her, I'm going to give you mercy as well because he says, who here can actually throw a stone at this woman? Now, there's only certain sins that are actually punishable with a stone. So he wasn't saying, hey, who here has ever sinned? That's not what he was saying. He was saying, who here has never committed a sin that is so egregious that I could not stone you right now? So I'm not just going to give her mercy. I'm going to give you mercy as well. Even though you brought her here and you're trying to play games with the Lord and you know I ain't on that trash, I should stone you. But guess what? I'm going to give you mercy as well. But then, after he gave them mercy and her mercy, what did he do? Right back to the sand. Because not only am I going to give you mercy and her mercy, but my grace is here as well. So I got to go right back to writing the same way that my God wrote. Hey. Y'all can go home without it if y'all want to. Hey, man, I'm going to tell you what. We be preaching at Thursday. And my brother and his wife here, we about to set this mug off. You hear me? 2024, you better not miss. You better not miss. Y'all funny. And the third point, he didn't accuse her. He said, I don't come to accuse you. I came here to free you. We're going to mess up, y'all. We're going to mess up as humans. We're going to mess up as a church sometimes. And trust me, I was going to light the church up today. But our fearless leader was like, no, don't do that. I'm tired of people knocking down the church. Keep it simple. But the right thing that they did, even in the wrong thing that they did, was they laid her at the feet of Jesus. Even when we mess up, if we mess up at the feet of Jesus, Jesus can take care of it. One of the most famous scriptures of all time is John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. But verse 17 says, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. 18 says, it says, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. So what does hope say? Hope says God wrote the commandments of the law on the tablet as the scripture says with his finger. Hope says give mercy. 
Hope says, where are your accusers? Hope says, I put you in a place to where you can see that no matter how they treated you, no matter how they set you up, no matter how they embarrassed you, no matter how they tried to throw dirt on your name, no matter how they ganged up on you, no matter how they lied on you, no matter when it comes down to it, all it is is just you and me. It's just you and me. I don't accuse you. I'm here to love you. I'm here to give you mercy. I'm here to give you grace. I'm here to set you up for a prosperous future. I'm here to show you that you are above and you are not beneath. I'm here to show you that you are more than a conqueror. I'm here to show you that, yeah, there's going to be some weapons formed, but no weapon formed against you shall prosper. I'm here to show you that I will never leave you nor forsake you. I'm here to show you that I am Alpha and Omega. I'm here to show you that you are in my hand and that no man can take you out of it. I'm here to show you that you are also in the Father's hand and he is stronger than me. Once you can say from your mouth that no man can accuse me, when did the Lord say, you are free? When you came to the understanding that no man can accuse me. She got to the point to where she understood, even though I've been hurt, even though I've done wrong, even though I feel naked, even though I was in darkness and bound, no man can accuse me. No one can hold me back. No man can hold me down. No man can take my blessing. No man can take my peace. No man can take my joy. Then Jesus can let you know, I don't condemn you either. Mercy is yours. Grace is yours. Condemnation is not present. Grace and mercy is our motivator to obedience. We've been asking people to be obedient, absent of grace and mercy. I haven't given you an ounce of grace. I haven't given you an ounce of mercy, but I'm coming to tell you that you effing up and you need to get your stuff together. I have not told you that the Lord is good. I have not told you about how he has done and what he has done for me. All I need to tell you is that I got two people to accuse you. And the next time you mess up, I'm taking you to the Sanhedrin. Is that how we approach the love of God? So when we're telling people what they've done and how they've done it and what they need to do and how they need to do it, and you haven't shown them grace and mercy to the fourth. I don't know why I said fourth, but it came out. Sounded good. Sounded like it was. No grace, no mercy, no obedience. No grace, no mercy, no obedience. God understands the formula. He understands that when I show forth grace, directly after I've already shown forth mercy, that's when we can get into the scriptures where it says, uh, I want to say Peter said it might have been Paul. This is the least that you can do. This is your reasonable service. He said, I urge you, I beseech you, I beg you, I pray. I, I hope that you can understand the mercies that the Lord has done. The great, I think in one, in one of the versions it says, the great mercies of the Lord. And because you understand the great mercies of the Lord, it's the least that you can do. It's your reasonable service to act this way in worship, to worship him in spirit and in truth and worship him with righteousness. That is your rational. That is the rational act of worship when you've been shown mercy 
and you've been shown grace. The last thing I want to say to you guys before I get out of here. Don't allow for yourself to hear this message, to drop your stone, and then walk away from the person that you tied up. I don't know how that woman felt, but I know that she was alone. And yes, it feels great to be alone with Jesus, but Jesus had other things to do. So when he said, go and sin no more, he didn't say it like he said to Peter when he said, now come walk with me. So when he would have said, go and sin no more, if the thus KFT version is correct and he walks away to do more ministry, she was left alone. I don't want that to be the feeling of someone who was here. I don't want that to be the feeling of someone in our community. I don't want that to be the feeling of someone in your family. To where you've recognized, dang, KT, you right. I need to show grace and mercy. Let me drop my stone and let me walk away. No, let you drop your stone and let you pick her up. Let you take off the chains and the, and the, and the rope that you gave. Let you clothe her in righteousness. Show her grace and mercy and then put your loving arms around her and apologize for the way that you behaved. 